HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin is home to the nation's only master cheesemakers program that provides innovative cheesemakers with continuing education opportunities? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode 99 of Feast Your Ears, and uh, it's a real special show today. I'm really excited to have Jeff, the 420 chef, on the phone. Jeff is the author of The 420 Gourmet, perhaps the uh, the best cannabis cookbook I've ever come across, and is a great promoter of all things cannabis and food. Thanks, Jeff, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. How are you? Doing good, doing good. How are things in Los Angeles? Uh, things are fantastic. Beautiful and sunny. A little crisp, but gorgeous. Nice. Yeah, we're having having one of those like pre-spring days in New York. It's like almost 60 degrees, and I feel like everybody is like probably starting to think about, you know, it's time for asparagus. and you know. Yeah, I remember those days. You know, I used to live there until three years ago. I lived on Wall Street, actually, for 10 years. Nice. And uh, I missed those days, those days right before right before the spring. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so you know, Jeff, you are uh, you're you're best known uh, as Jeff the 420 Chef, um, and mm-hmm. uh, I want to you know talk a little bit uh, today about about that and about working with uh, working with cannabis. So, you know, uh, tell me how did you get started with uh, with cooking cannabis and and using cannabis. So I started about uh, six and a half years ago cooking for uh, a friend of mine's mom uh, who was diagnosed with a stage four breast cancer. And uh, her doctor said to alleviate the pain and discomfort and the nausea from the chemotherapy that uh, he gave her a recommendation for cannabis. But she wasn't a smoker. Um, She couldn't really smoke because of her condition, even if she wanted to. And uh, while I was living in New York, my friend reached out and said, hey, you know, next time you're in L.A., can you come by and visit my mom? And, uh, you know, maybe make some of your famous cookies. Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, sure, you know, let's, let's, you know, try it. You know, I had not cooked with cannabis uh, in a major way uh, until then. You know, I would dabble in it here and there. And uh, started cooking for her and also at the same time a family member 
um, was diagnosed with brain cancer, and um, I was helping him as well through uh, one of my kids. And um, uh, ultimately, you know, we were able to make the cookies and brownies, but they tasted terrible. Right. That's, I, mean, I definitely remember that from, from college, right, is that, like, somebody would show up at a party with pot brownies, and I, I always felt it was a little, you know, people really loved it, but I never really liked it because I felt like exactly as you point out, the dosage was all over the place. They didn't taste that good. Right. I mean, you're sort yeah. of like, all right, well, isn't it easier just to smoke? Right. That was sort of how I always felt. Yeah. And I, and I always and I was felt really embarrassed. Yeah. And I yeah, always I mean, I felt like you could do the people knew me, you know, I had great cookies. And right. I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do here? You know, it was crazy. Yeah. And then dosage, I think, is a real big issue. I mean, I, you know, I talked with a friend recently, um, you know, as as I think that uh, cooking with cannabis and, and cannabis as a sort of uh, a culinary ingredient have started to kind of has started to appear. I was talking with a friend about it who's a cookbook author. And she said, oh, she said, I hate edibles. You know, she said, I think I'm still recovering from a cookie that I had in Austin like 10 years ago. And I feel like I, I know so many people who have this really negative connotation to to eating uh, marijuana. Um, and so, yeah, you know, very, very true. I mean, every time I do, a, you know, a presentation or a class or, you know, what, even, you know, when I'm doing dinner parties, I always love to ask, you know, everybody, you know, uh, have you ever had a cannabis infused edible? And what's your experience been? And I would say over ninety percent of them have the same exact reaction and answer. Yeah, absolutely. So, so your book, uh, you know, I think really does a lot to kind of expand beyond what I consider to consider to be like the stoner food, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, I, I recently I picked up a couple of other. I was looking at some other cannabis books, and there was one that I came across that was like all brownies and cookies and and sweets. And I had a friend who who you know once said who does a lot of cannabis infused cooking and said you know why would i want to make things that i want to eat more of when i'm high right the point being that like why would you want to have a tray of brownies around when you're going to get stoned anyway like if you're going to do that you might as well have a tray of regular brownies because then if you consume half of them because you have the munchies you're not just going to be really stupid yeah, that, that is very true. Um, the funny thing is, you know, it takes about two hours for the uh, edibles to kick in to begin with. Sure. So, you know, you'll start with your, your brownie and you'll be fine just, you know, munching on it, you know, or whatever it is you're eating. I mean, we do all different types of foods now. And then two hours later, you might have the munchies or you might not. It really depends on the strain you use. Um, it was recently discovered about a year and a half ago that there are strains out there with uh, a compound called THCV, which is actually an appetite suppressant. And I use that in uh, salad dressings for, uh, you know, for, for people that I help that are struggling with weight loss. Yeah, got it. Very interesting. And how do you, you know, so how, so, so, you know, we, we tend to think of marijuana. Um, I mean, I think, you know, when I was a teenager, I bought whatever the guy in the corner had, right? Like that's sort of how it worked. Now we're coming yeah. into a time, you know, and it's true in New York where if you call a delivery service or whatever, they show up and you got lots of opportunities and things. I mean, now in California where you are, I mean, it's like going to, you know, it's like going to buy wine. You go into yeah. your, you know, your cannabis shop and you are looking around and you have people, you know, bud tenders who, who can tell you about the different strains. And then, you know, in your book, you point out, I mean, you have Delta 9 THC, Delta 9 THCA, Delta 8 THC, THCV, CBD, CBDA, CBG, CB, you know, there's all these different things in, in the marijuana that have different effects, right? And have different med medicinal and or, you know, recreational uh -huh. purposes, um, how, as a as a regular consumer, you know, can can one best purchase 
weed and know what these things are? I mean, are there, is there any way to, to really know what you're getting? Yeah, I mean, you know, just as a regular consumer that's not really doing research, um, and if you're not in a state like New York or Washington or Colorado, you know, where the bud tenders are pretty knowledgeable now, you know, it can help you, uh, and, you know, based on what you tell them you're looking to, you know, your health benefits you're looking to achieve, it can help you pick the right strain. But if you're living, you know, outside of an adult use uh, or even medicinal state, then uh, you do have challenges because, first of all, you don't even know what you're going to get. Right. And the second thing is it's usually very dirty. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, it's hit and miss. I mean, I remember in New York, it was like, are you serious? Like, what is this? Sometimes it was great. Yep. Sometimes it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and sometimes I find, you know, that what you get, if it is really great, um, you know, you can, you can actually make use of the flavor of mm-hmm. the marijuana itself. And then in other times it tastes terrible once you've put it into some kind of food. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, you know, um, I, I will tell you that, you know, the flavor is very complex. Uh, you can definitely use it in certain things, but not everything. I always like to tell people, you know, people say, well, I like the flavor. I'm like, yeah, well, I like the flavor of garlic, but I don't like garlic in my chocolate chip cookies. You know, <laughs> yep, and, sure. <laughs> right, and there, there's a way, there's a time and place for everything. Uh, I would say that over 85% of the people that I cook for um, don't like the flavor at all. You know, they really, you know, they'll deal with a little bit of it, but they really don't want it. They want to taste the food. And as a chef, you know, I mean, you want your food to shine. And it took me several years to figure it out. But I actually figured out how to take out the taste. And it actually is a byproduct of cleaning the cannabis that I came up with as well. So, you know, we take out the taste when you cook with cannabis. Yeah, I mean, I and I and your process that's outlined in the book is great. I mean, I've I've done a lot of the things that you're talking about in terms of the preparation and the decarboxylation and and those sorts of things, but I had never done the washing stage, um, which mm-hmm. you point out is really where you get rid of a lot of the impurities in there. And so I thought that yeah, was really yeah, it's really interesting, and especially living in New York. You know, something that you know you and your listeners might want to try. It's a, it's a crazy experiment, but you know, just like you would wash your fruits and vegetables before you cook. You have to do the same thing with your cannabis because you don't know what's in that cannabis. I mean, it could be anything from microbes from a person's hand who is, you know, touching it to full, to mold or fungus or bacteria, you know, in addition to heavy metals and even worse, pesticides. Right. So, you know, we can't take out anything that's systemic uh, from the plant, but uh, we can take out surface impurities. And those are the things that actually make the cannabis taste bad. Uh, in addition to that, there's other things. You know, there can be insects, there can be insect eggs, there can be excrement from the insects. So you really have to, you know, clean your cannabis before you put it into food. Yeah, no, I think that, and I think that that's a that's a really good point. And and you know, I think that uh, we're we're really in an exciting time where people are learning how to do these things, and that mm-hmm. you know, it, it's there. You know, books like yours, I think, really help to demystify that because you can't just you know, if you decide you don't want to smoke marijuana you can't just like take a bite of a bud and have that <laughs> give you yeah, the same yeah, effect, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's like there's a lot of other things you have to understand right exactly um i i did want to ask so your book really covers in depth how to infuse cannabis into fats um yes uh do you ever work with infusions into alcohol so, you know, um, I will do alcohol infusions. Uh, they're pretty rare for me because uh, there's really no purpose for them in what I do. Um, I'll do them once in a while if I want to do a tincture for under the tongue. Um, what I have been doing uh, more and more lately is uh, infusing vegetable glycerin. Interesting. 
Yeah, and you can use that um, for in syrups. You can use that in jellies. You can use yeah. that in candies. Uh, you know, it's definitely something that, you know, is an infusible substance yep. because, you know, it is a solvent. Yep. Um, so, you know, for cooking purposes, uh, vegetable glycerin is another good one to use. Got it. Um, and, and is the way that you would do that infusion similar to, so, so I often do, uh, an alcohol infusion. Um, I'd like it because I like the, to be able to control the dosability. Um, and you go into mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. in depth in your book about how to, you know, how to, how to convert THC percentage through your process of infusion into butter or olive oil into sort of final dosage, um, in a, mm-hmm. in a very in-depth way that I really appreciate. I think you did a really good job with that and it is somewhat complicated and I don't want, you know, if people are interested in doing this, I think it is worth actually sitting down to do these calculations, um, you mm-hmm. know, because I think that dosing is really like supremely important when you're talking about this, um, especially yeah, because as you point out the, you know, the effects, you don't feel the effects for a much longer amount of time. It takes much longer for the THC to get into your bloodstream, um, to get to your brain than when you do something like smoke. And so, you know, if you don't know how much you're consuming and then two hours later you need to be somewhere or you're just laid out on the couch, that can, that is, I think, you know, that's why all these people have these stories of having these terrible experiences. Um, So I do, I do alcohol infusions um, where I decarboxylate the marijuana um, by putting it into, I I grind it, I put it in a jar inside a pressure cooker and then I pressure Mm -hmm, cook it. Um, and then I pressure infuse it into grain alcohol. Um, and I Mm -hmm. find that that allows me a really, really fine amount of control over my dosing, um, down Mm -hmm. to just the drop. And so, you know, sometimes all I want is like four drops in an espresso and sometimes I want a whole Mm -hmm. dropper full, you know? Um, and so I'm able to really control it that way. Do you know how, uh, how many milligrams of CAT per drop are in the tinctures that you make? Um, so one of the things that, I, and I wanted to, to, to pick your brain about this a little bit, um, one of the things I'm not sure about is what is what my efficiency is in terms of extraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I noticed that you have kind of a, a, and I guess I assume it comes from experience and from, you know, the years of doing this, um, you know, you have sort of a margin of error. You account for a certain lack of efficiency, I guess, in the home mm-hmm. extraction versus what can what they can do in laboratories um, of starting with, if you if you know you're starting THC percentage, which of course still, you know, in a, in a state where it's unregulated, but the supply, I guess, mm-hmm. is very good like in New York, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm always a little bit suspect. And so I find, you know, I usually do a standard. Usually I do one gram of material or of, of flowers to uh, 33 grams of solvent. So I usually mm-hmm. I usually do three grams to 100 grams. Um, and But I find that it really is varying, and I, I often feel like every, every batch I make, uh, I need to do a little bit of sort of self-test and mm-hmm. take some and see how I feel to sort of understand what the strength level is. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's also, again, like because there's all the variables, it's unclear to me whether it has to do with, you know, perhaps my extraction was a little bit different or maybe I didn't grind it as fine in this particular, you know, this particular instance. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I cooked it for two minutes longer or two minutes less things, you know, variables like that, that I'm not controlling for. Um, or it may yeah. be that the marijuana that I'm getting, you know, maybe it says 70%, on it, but it's not really. Yeah, I mean, well, there's, there's no such thing as 70% THC cannabis. Um, you know, if you're if you're actually taking the flower and you know uh, extracting the uh, trichomes you know, off the flower, 
uh, the highest you're going to get is 35%. And most strains, especially strains, strains that you're going to get outside of um, a legal market, are probably going to be between 20 and 25%. But I think, you know, the biggest uh, challenge that people face, and this is something, by the way, I've changed. I've made a revision, two revisions in the book, to, uh, to my process in the book. Um, I've improved it greatly, um, specifically for potency, but also to address issues like you were just speaking about. Don't grind your bud. Take it off the stem. You could also you could use the stems as well. But don't grind the bud because when you grind the bud, you're losing a lot of trichomes. That's keef. So all Got that keef that you have left over, that, that's really the medicine. So you don't want to do that. You want to you want to make sure that if you're going to be making tinctures or any sort of you know uh, can of butter, or can of oil, glycerin, that you don't grind your bud. You actually pick it off the stem. And then you put it through your process. So that's the first thing. And then when it comes to decarboxylization, um, specifically with my process, because I teach people to clean the cannabis, and as part of the cleaning process, um, it, it becomes wet because you're soaking it in distilled water and then you're blanching it. So to dry it and decarb it, um, you should do it at 240 degrees for 60 to 90 minutes till it's bone dry. Then you can infuse it, and then you'll have about 85% of the um, potency that you, um, you know, you'll be able to extract 85% of the potency from the bud that you have. So uh, you'll have a, it'll be a lot more accurate for you to figure out um, what your potency is even before you even do it. And then you can start playing with how much of the alcohol you use to infuse. Sure. Got it. Very cool. Um, well, thank you for those tips. We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk about some of the, the culinary side of the recipes in the book. This is the story of men and women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sierchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Hi. 
Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I have Jeff, the 420 chef, on the line from L.A. And before the break, we were talking about, uh, we got into some of the specifics of the process of infusing uh, alcohol and oil uh, with cannabis. And uh, I want to sort of move on, because Jeff's book is not only about that, it is, uh, his book, The 420 Gourmet, is also about cuisine. Um, and all of the recipes in the book, you can make them without cannabis. So, you know, they look, they're, they're basically a lot of sort of regular recipes. And I think that by looking at it, uh, people can also come to understand how they could incorporate, uh, some of Jeff's techniques into their own home cooking. Um, I have to say, Jeff, that I, I keep opening to, I don't know if it's just the copy of your book that I have, but it keeps falling open to your pozza ball soup recipe. It's very, very, very popular. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and and I just keep thinking about uh, a. Uh, I keep thinking about a Passover a couple of years ago uh, at my brother-in-law's house where uh, we got really, really high before the seder. Um, oh God. And and I was thinking about well, what if what if we just got high sort of during the seder, right? Like uh-huh, uh-huh. while we were, of course, like with kids around and stuff, that gets a little more complicated. But uh, you know, so I started thinking about that. So I really I, I like the idea of that recipe as one that like just looks like you know your normal delicious matzo ball soup, um, but then there is a way to to make an infused version of it as well, and that you're infusing just the the matzo balls themselves. So I also you know I really I I like that because then it allows you to serve people, you know, if you had guests who didn't want any cannabis, it would be pretty easy to separate out and just have a separate batch. It's not in all the soup. Correct. Yeah. And that's why we do it. So grandma doesn't get an infused matzo ball unless she really wants one. Right. (laughs) And maybe, I mean, and maybe grandma does want one. That's right, unless you want to. Do you have any, are there any recipes from your book that you find yourself going back to all the time? Like, are there, are there specific cannabis recipes that you've just come to make a lot more often than others? You know, I'll tell you, the answer is yes, but only because of the popularity of them. So, for example, my hazy Thai wings um, are incredibly popular. And I don't know if you've ever um, been to um, Portland or to the restaurant Pop Pop in yeah, Portland, but sure. there is a, um, yeah, so they're, they're very famous for their Thai street wings. And I had them and I was like, oh my God, I have to recreate this recipe. And I did. And uh, then I added cannabis to it. And each of the wings is about a milligram to a milligram and a half. So people can have several wings, but I also make a batch of what I call Virgin Sisters which tastes exactly the same, nice. but they're not infused. So you can have a whole plate of, let's say, you know, a half a dozen or a dozen wings, and only a few of them are infused. Ah, but it's a, nice. it's a really popular item for parties and stuff that I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit. I mean, I, I think we're, you know, I think that, that we're at the, the beginning, or maybe, you know, not quite the beginning, but you're certainly at the forefront of where I see kind of like cannabis culture going. And I would love to sort of hear your thoughts on that. Like, so, you know, you've written this book and you have a podcast and, you know, you're doing a lot of work to kind of educate people about ways to incorporate cannabis into their lives, both for medicinal and recreational purposes. Where do you think we're going to be, you know, 10 years ago, I feel like that wasn't really even on the radar. Right. I mean, 10 years yeah. ago in, you know, in, in almost all places, I mean, California had medical uh, marijuana and, you know, but in most places it was still this illicit thing where you had to like meet a guy or have a guy or call somebody and it was still a little bit shady. Um, you know, where do you think we're going to be 10 years from now? You know, I'll tell you, I think 10 years from now, um, cannabis is going to be uh, descheduled. Um, it'll be available like alcohol is available. 
Um, I feel that, you know, the culinary, I'm you know, on a culinary side, because that's really what I can speak to, you know, if, if it's already um, legalized, you know, um, not only nationwide, but probably worldwide, you know, you're going to start seeing a lot of really great things pop up. You know, right now I'm working with a group of investors and uh, we're getting ready to uh, open up a cannabis lounge uh, here in, in L.A., and um, it's going to be alongside a dispensary, et cetera. And there's going to be ways that, you know, we'll be able to, um, you know, serve food there, mm. you know, and um, there'll be, you know, it, it's just going to be incredible. And that's just the beginning. It's in Palm Springs, they're working on restaurants. So, you know, you will have, you know, a full, you know, a culinary aspect to it, almost like, you know, the wine bar restaurants that are out there now. Yeah. Um, there will be cannabis restaurants, I think, you know, in about, you know, I would say, within 10 years. Um, and it's going to be very, very a different landscape. But a lot of what's happening now is, you know, we're pioneering and paving the way for people to understand how it works. Yep. You know, to get people that are afraid of it or, you know, there's still a major stigma in many people's minds about it, you know, to explain to them that this is not only an amazing medicine, you know, but it's also something that can help in many other ways to, to enhance your lifestyle way, way better than alcohol ever could. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, part of the part of the difficulty and where I see a lot of the work that still needs to be done has to do with how it's viewed sort of socially, right? I mean, we are we are in this moment where (laughs) there still are all these stigmas attached to it. And even and even things, you know, like I was a cannabis user when I was a teenager. And I stopped for about 20 years. And I, you know, in the past few years, have become a cannabis user again. And I don't use it in the same way. I wouldn't want to associate with the 16-year-old me who was getting really high. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a, it's a different, it exists within my lifestyle in a different way. In, similarly to how alcohol does, right? Like, I'm not binge drinking now mm-hmm. as an adult. And, you know, like I did in my, in my teenage and early 20-year 20 mm-hmm. 20s. But, you know, I think a lot of the, we don't have the same culture that is yet sort of built around cannabis, right? Like as you get older, as you go from buying like really cheap beer and four loco as a teenager or as like in your early twenties, you graduate up and you can be like, you can aspire to learn about wine and to taste wine or to learn about cocktails. And, you know, I don't really want to associate with all of the, like what I consider to be the stoner culture at this point in my yeah, life, I mean, right? And there's a difference between use and abuse, right? Yep. And there's, you know, the, like you mentioned it yourself, you know, there, there's the canisseur, the wine connoisseur, the cannabis canisseur, right? And then there's the person, there's a, there's a bum on the street that's, you know, an alcoholic that's drinking, you know, wine and beer all day long. So it's very, it's the same sort of thing, you know, where you have certain people that are abusing it, unfortunately, and creating and helping to, you know, not only create that stigma, but also to, you know, almost solidify it in some people's minds. And on the other side of it, you have people that are out there that are really, you know, showing that this is really an amazing, amazing plant that has so many different uses. Um, Do you find that, uh, I mean, so you used to live in New York um, and you were a user, I mean, I'm assuming that you were experimenting with cannabis here when you lived here um, and now being in a place where it's it's legal, um, where you can just go to a dispensary and and purchase it, um, you know, how is that? How has that changed your relationship to it, or has it? Oh, my God, it totally has. I mean, <laughs> just imagine, you know, I just walk, in, I walk into a dispensary, you know, any time of day, um, as long as they're open, you know, probably from 8 to about 10 p.m. now. Um, and, you know, if I need something, a specific strain, 
um, I can probably find it or find out where to get it. And, you know, I've learned so much more about cannabis. It's no longer just, hey, I got Blue Dream or, hey, you know, I got Green Crack. You know, like, you know, the dealers that would, you know, do the deliveries, you know, they only had what they had and it sure. probably wasn't even what they thought it was. Right. By the way, something I want to just make mention to anybody in, uh, on the East Coast that's listening to this, beware and do not buy anything called Campfire OG. Huh. Because what's happening is there are some unscrupulous um, uh, growers out there that are selling the product that was damaged by the fires, oh. by the um, you know the fires up in Sonoma, yeah, uh, and up in Northern California, um, and they're selling it as Campfire OG, you know, so it has like a bit of a smoky flavor. The problem is that there's all these toxins in it. So sure. that's kind of put out there, you know, that if you see something and someone tells you it's Campfire OG or something smells smoky, don't buy it. Right. No, that's a that is a that's an excellent. Excellent point. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the naming conventions of the of the marijuana themselves, you know, of the strains to me is another whole sticking point. Like, I don't want to buy something that's called green crack, right? Like, exactly. I, like right. I'm, yeah. I'm not as a as an adult user, I'm not interested in that, right? Like something that's called Blue Dream or Bay Dream or OG Kush, like those things make sense to me, and I get that a lot of the naming conventions sort of have to do mm-hmm. with who the, what the parent genetics are and those things but when you get into all these crazy you know uh you know sour diesel you know alien mm-hmm. i mean all the all these things are so f- out of that sort of stonery culture thing that they're just really really off-putting to me so i hope in the next 10 years we get to a point where uh you know you can we can talk about the strains and we can talk about kush mm-hmm. and we can talk about indicas and we can talk about sativas and we can talk about hybrids mm-hmm. but that the language has kind of caught up I think, and I think we're just. Well, I'll tell you, it already has. Yeah. It already has. Um, in California and Colorado and Washington, there are brands out there that are no longer um, selling their product by the strain; they're selling it by the effect. So you can buy it. You can you can get a strain either. You know, you, the cannabis. Um, they remove the name from the cannabis, or it's the vape. You know, like the you know, vape yep. pens. Sure. And they're calling them things like you know, passion, um, relax. Uh, you know, uh, chill. Uh, there's all these different names that they're actually naming their cannabis so that you can actually, you know, get the effect from it as opposed to, hey, I wonder what Blue Dream is going to do to me. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have any, any recommendations for people who might be looking to uh, not be using the THC but really be using the CBD aspects of cannabis? Yes, yeah, CBD is fantastic, you know, and you can get, um, you know, uh, CBD strains, at least, on the, you know, we can get them here. Uh, they're kind of rare to come by anywhere, but, you know, strains like Charlotte's Web, you know, ACDC, they're very, very, very high uh, CBD, um, CBD heavy, very, very low THC strains. But, um, you know, so strains like that, if you're, if you, if you are, you know, you want to go directly to the cannabis and get it, you can. But also, there are oils out there, there are supplements, or, you know, many, many different tinctures, um, that are CBD that are actually available all over the country. And it's really a gray area, you know, for the DEA because, you know, we actually were working on, um, a CBD oil. I'm still, still working on developing this right now. And we, uh, sent a letter to the DEA. And the FDA, and we said, hey, you know, can we use, you know, the CBD oil? You know, we're actually getting it from plants, you know, matured, the mature stock of a hemp plant that was imported from Spain, all 100% legal. And they send you a letter back, and the first paragraph of the letter says, you know, that um, we see CBD being grown from mature hemp plant, blah, 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 as being legal. And then the third paragraph down, it says, however, all, can- all hemp and cannabis is seen by the federal government as 
cannabis sativa and is therefore prohibited and illegal. Huh. So right. it's, very, it's a real gray area, <laughs> and um, it's strange because the federal government has a patent on CBD as well as THC, you know, but a CBD specifically for medicine, and, you know, they're just, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. So companies are doing it. Right. Companies are taking the risk because, you know, every, many people are doing it, and as long as you have um, a great, a good brand, you know, that is, has high-quality organic CBD, I mean, it's, it's good. It's great. Cool. You can use it in anything you want. So if people want to find you out in L.A., I mean, I know that you, you host dinners and things like that. Um, is the best place just to look at your, your site, jeffthe420chef.com? Yeah, they can get me through my website, jeffthe420chef.com. Um, you know, I've, I've um, stopped doing public dinner parties right now um, because the laws have changed and we're getting ready to open up a lounge, so things are Got kind it. of crazy. Yep. I am doing private dinner parties still. There's certain rules that we have to follow to do those. Uh, we are doing a somewhat public event in Palm Springs um, on between 419 and 421. So, you know, 419, 420, and 421, uh, we have events at the Palm Springs Cannabis Film Festival. Obviously, going to be a lot of fun. And it's really, you know, in addition to, you know, a culinary, you know, parties and stuff, we're also going to be doing uh, panel talks and a bunch of other things just to educate people about culinary and cannabis. Um, so, yeah, you can go through my website. Um, you can also, you know, direct message me through Instagram. That's a really big thing for us. Um, our Instagram is really popular. Um, so, those are the two. And then Facebook also. Awesome. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to point out to people, you know, and, and I don't know if you have any any other thoughts on this, but, you know, that I, I like I said in the beginning of the show, I do think that your book is the best one I've come across um, because I think that you, you do an excellent job of kind of explaining the, the scientific side of it. Um, but also it's fairly accessible. I mean, your standard infusion is five grams into a certain amount of oil, right? You're talking five grams into... Yeah, it's typically like one-to-one. One. So, you know, my, my standard infusion is, you know, one gram um, to, one, to, you know, to one ounce of oil. Got it. Um, and, that's a fi- and, that's, and that's basically, you know, a finished clean gram. So, sure. you know, something that happens when you're cleaning cannabis is you're going to start out, let's say you're going to buy a quarter, so you start out with seven grams. When you're done with the process, we remove all the moisture um, as well as other compounds and impurities from the plant that you don't need in your cooking. So that brings the weight down to about four milligrams. Got it. Um, I'm sorry, four, yeah, four, yeah, four yeah, grams. Four, yeah, four and a half grams. Uh, you know, that, that is, yeah, that, that's a really important point. Um, and, you know, and that's also fairly accessible, right? I mean, this is not the, you know, cooking with cannabis is not uh, an inexpensive uh, hobby, but if you're going to be buying it anyway, I do think that you're actually getting a lot more use out of what you're purchasing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did come across yeah. a, another book recently that their, uh, their basic infusion was two cups of oil or butter to two ounces of marijuana. And I I just thought to myself, like, that's that's, inaccessible to almost, I mean, I'm not going to buy two ounces at a time, you know, and I, I mean, I can, and, and I'm a regular user, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a lot, you know, and they're also not cleaning their cannabis. Keep in mind, the one thing that is crazy, when you don't clean your cannabis and you make your can of butter and can of oil by throwing it, let's say, into a crock pot with butter and oil and a little bit of water so it doesn't burn and leave it overnight, you wake up the next morning and you have this really dark, dank, uh, you know, can of butter and can of oil. It's usually very dark brown yep. or dark green or black. Um, and it tastes terrible and it smells terrible and that's what you're tasting. But if you clean your cannabis and you take out one of the most important things to take out, and this is a really important point, is actually the terpenes. 
Because even though terpenes are good for you, and everyone says, yeah, you can't, why would you take out the terpenes? The truth is, when you cook with cannabis over 211 degrees, the terpenes begin to evaporate, and they burn off at 214 degrees and higher. So if you're cooking with cannabis, and the terpenes are still in your, in your can of butter or can of oil, those terpenes are going to burn off in your food, and that's a major part of the taste that you're tasting when you have uh, cannabis-infused edibles with cannabis that hasn't been cleaned. So you're just tasting burned terpenes, basically. <laughs> It's right. So it's the residual taste from the burnt terpenes, burnt chlorophyll, um, you know, other stuff from the outside, the outside of the plant. It's it's incredible when you take out all that stuff that you don't need, you know, and that you you're not going to have if you cook with cannabis, like the terpenes, right? Yep. You can always reintroduce terpenes back into your meal because a terpene is a terpene as far as your body is concerned. So if you take a strain that's high in pinene for example, right, yep. which is a very popular terpene. So pinene is also found in things like basil and pine nuts. Yep. So all you have to do to add back your terpenes is to make yourself a pesto. Yep. Got it. Um, well, you know, that you, you've you definitely uh, given given us a lot of information, um, and I really <laughs> I, I appreciate it. No, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, my next batch, I mean, you know, I've been, I've been doing alcohol infusions for a while, and, you know, uh, I try to be very careful with where I get my product, but I haven't been, I'm going to use your, your washing system on my next, uh, on my next yeah, one. Yeah, definitely do, and, and here's it. another one. Um, instead of putting in a pressure cooker, um, try just putting it in a mason jar and sticking that mason jar in the freezer overnight. Oh, in the freezer. And, and then shake it up. Yeah, so what happens is the trichomes freeze and fall off. Uh-huh. Um, you can even do it. I mean, I've done it for two hours, and I've gotten a really nice, you know, tincture out of it. But if sure. you wanted, you know, to make to ensure that you get as much out of it as possible, yep. just um, put it in the freezer overnight, and then just shake it up and strain it the next morning. Got it. Cool. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'll give that. I'll give that. A, give that a try. Uh, anything else that you wanted to bring up or mention about stuff you have going on or coming up? We're just about out of time. Uh, yeah. The only thing I want to say is also in the cookbook, each recipe will tell you if you follow the directions closely how many milligrams per serving yeah. each recipe is. And that's really important. There's no other cookbook out there that does it. And, you know, low dosing obviously is really important to keep in mind. You don't want to overdose yourself or anybody else. Overdosing just means having too much, you know, and putting them in a bad place. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel that that's one of, the, one of the great things that stands out about the cookbook is that not only does it tell you how to do it, but if you follow the, you know, follow the recipe, it's going to tell you how potent approximately it's going to be. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and, and this is a case where I think, uh, you know, until you're very, very comfortable with the process, you should follow the recipe fairly exactly. Yeah. And they can get a signed cookbook on my website too, you know, just, and let them, you know, let me know that you, you heard me on the show. And <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much, Jeff. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully next time I'm in LA, I'll reach out and perhaps, uh, you know, your, uh, hope your lounge is open by then. I'll definitely have to come by. Yeah, sounds fantastic. It'll be uh, probably the end of the summer. Okay, sounds great. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Big thank you to David Tattashore for engineering this show. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you should check out Jeff's podcast also uh, on his website. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes. Uh, you can reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me at email harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on social media at The Foodballer. You can catch up with Jeff on social media, Jeff the 420 chef Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.